evening, welcome each of you. It's a blessing to be together, to see each of you here. So, I don't know what you what you expect when you come to a men's meeting. I didn't ask Brother Ellis a whole lot about what, what your typical men's meeting consists of. Um, and sometimes we can can be more business, or from my experience, can be more business related in the church, or things we're facing, decisions we need to make. Sometimes it can be a time where we dig into struggles that we as men face, temptations, um, thought life, lust, all that kind of stuff. Um, there's just a lot of ways that you can go with that. Um, and I was uncertain where where to go, what to teach about. Um, but as I looked at my own life, so one thing that I've been told many times is when you give someone a gift, if you're not sure, if you don't, especially if it's a person you don't know well, you're not sure, you know, what would they appreciate? Make sure you give something that you yourself like, something that's close, dear to you, something that you would appreciate to receive. And I think it's the same way in sharing from God's word and teaching to share something from my personal life. Um, so the topic is rather broad. I hope to drill in some. And it, as I thought about it, it really covers a lot of the things I already mentioned. And it's the, the thought of leadership as a man, um, and not just ordained leadership in a church, but each of us as a man, we are called to lead. Um, and I narrowed it down a little bit more yet, and the thought I had as I was thinking about our relationship to Christ, our responsibility as men to lead, as fathers, as church leaders, but also we're called to follow. We're called to follow Christ. So where, where do we... Where are we leading and where are we following? Is there a difference? Is there a... Yeah, what does that look like? And the kind of the, the conclusion I came to is that the decision to follow, the decision to follow Christ brings the responsibility to lead. I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Um, and I don't want to do all the talking tonight, so I'm just going to ask somebody to go ahead and read few verses for me from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Whoever, anybody can just go ahead and read that. Follow me. 
Thank you. So Jesus, in verse 19, he says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So when we make a decision to follow Christ, Christ says, I will make you fishers of men. The responsibility is not limited to by age, it's not even limited by gender, it's not limited by position, by title, but it's a responsibility for every one of us that accepted Christ. As a man, especially as a husband, as a father, I'm automatically in a leadership role. The question is, am I leading? Am I taking responsibility for my position as a leader? Or am I leaving a void? When there's a void in leadership, when there's a lack of leadership, it will be filled by something or someone. So am I a leader? And as I said, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last number of years, over the, especially the last two years, um, am I a leader? And would you consider yourself a leader? No matter what stage of your life you're in, as a teen, young married, older children, children all married and gone, moved on, am I a leader? So as a young man, I never considered myself a leader. Uh, in fact, I pushed back against the thought of being a leader. I would much rather stay in the background, do my own thing, let someone else lead out. And as I look back, I don't see a specific time where I remember changing my mind about leading. But instead what I see is that when I made the decision, or when I realized that I had never fully surrendered my life to Christ, and I made that decision to totally surrender to Christ, 
When he was my Lord and my Savior, things began to change. I suddenly found myself in a place where I realized there were people that were watching. There were people that were following how I was following Christ. And suddenly I realized that if there is someone following me, whether I want it or not, I am a leader. We're being followed whether we follow Christ or not. I think that's just the, as siblings in school, within the, in the youth group, we are influencing others. People are following. What I want to bring out as a thought is at, as of followers of Christ, we have others following us. So who am I following? I think that's an important question to ask. Who am I following as a leader? Um, in the Bible, we're compared to sheep many different times. And sheep are herd animals. I don't know, are any of you farmers here have sheep or have had sheep? And what, what is a sheep's natural instinct? If, if one sheep goes somewhere, what's the instinct of the rest of the sheep to do? To follow. And for this reason, when the sheep knows their shepherd... They naturally follow the shepherd. Turn with me to John chapter 10. And I know these thoughts are nothing new. I'm not expecting to give a great revelation on the fact that sheep follow each other and follow shepherds. But rather, I just want to move through this and bring out, bring out some points on that. Um, so John chapter 10 I'm going to go through it a few verses at a time. I'll read one through five. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. He calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. We must know the voice of the shepherd, telling us that Jesus is the shepherd. We need to know his voice. We need to know his word. When we know his word, when we know what his voice sounds like, any other voice that comes, we will know it's not, not the shepherd. A sheep that knows a shepherd's voice faithfully follows, won't be led astray. I'm going to move on down to verse 7 through 10. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but to, for to steal and to kill and to destroy I am come that they might have life and that they have, might have it more abundantly. Jesus is the door of the sheepfold. He makes it very clear the only way in is through him. Into verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. 
The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus, our good shepherd, he gave his life for us, for his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep, and we are to know him. It's a mutual love, as we talked about Uh, Which evening was it we looked at personal devotional life, I believe, or personal relationship with Christ on Thursday evening, I believe it was. It's that knowing the shepherd's voice, the shepherd knowing me. Jesus makes it clear he is willingly laying down his life for the sheep. We're going to be looking at Christ's sacrifice tomorrow in communion, what he's done. He, he did that willingly. But in these verses, Jesus warns that there are others besides him that will try to lead the sheep, and these are not true shepherds. So one thing with sheep following other sheep is they will follow them blindly. If one sheep goes over the side of a cliff, other sheep will follow right along. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be ye followers of me, as I also am a follower of Christ. So we naturally, Jesus used the reference to sheep for a reason, because as humans, we have that same tendency as sheep. We tend to follow other people. We naturally, as Christians, we naturally follow other Christians, and that's good. Paul is saying, follow me, as I have follow, am a follower of Christ. However, we must always keep our focus on Christ. Yes, we follow other Christians. We follow leaders. But at the same time, we must know the voice of the shepherd. And we must know if that person that we are behind, that person that we are following, if they are following the true shepherd. We can't just blindly follow or we will most likely be astray. And for me as a leader, it's important for me to know that I am following Christ, that I know the voice of the shepherd. Because in the same way as the danger for me to blindly follow someone else, if I myself lose sight of the shepherd, if I myself lose cease to hear his voice, if I stop hearing his voice or instead start hearing another voice following it, if I make a decision, whether ignorantly or whether on purpose, to take another direction, because there are others following behind, there will very likely be others that will follow me off into the wrong direction. I will very likely lead others astray as well. 
So I must know the voice of the shepherd. I must follow the shepherd. But then just like Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. As I follow Christ, there's going to be others following me. I must know the shepherd. I must make sure that they also know the voice of the shepherd. But as I studied these verses, I found something that I had never realized before. If you, if you go down to verse 22 in John chapter 10, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And from what I, I learned is the feast of the dedication is what they call, the Jews would call Hanukkah. And it's a, it's a, a feast they had. According to Jewish history, this feast celebrated the victory of the Jewish Maccabean in their uprising against Greek oppression in 165 BC. And you can read this in the Apocrypha, the account of this in the, in the Maccabean, the book of Maccabees. I forget if it's first or second. I would need to check that again. Anyway, um, so after their victory, after the Maccabeans revolted against the Jews, they removed the altar that had been set up in the temple that had been put there by the Greeks for heathen worship. They removed that, built a new altar, and they rededicated the temple. So they were celebrating this, that the temple had been purified. But another aspect of this feast is that the Hanukkah was a time when the Jews reflected on the failures of their leaders prior to this uprising. Because what had happened, the way the, way the Greeks had worshipped idols in the temple is because the Jewish leaders of that time had made alliances with the Greek. They had compromised with various Greek leaders for their own benefit. They compromised with them. The Greeks took over. And because of that, the temple was defiled. The people were defiled. So that not only were they celebrating the victory over the Greeks, but also, as one commentator says, it became a time that hard questions were asked about failed leadership and false prophets. So it just really struck me that it kind of brought on a new meaning to, to the, the account of Jesus telling them that I am the true shepherd. Because when he told them this, this was at a time when the Jews were looking at what failed leadership does. So they were, they were questioning leadership. They were thinking about leadership. And Jesus comes and he tells them that I am the true leader. I am the true shepherd. So we have a responsibility to lead as Christians, as men, as, as fathers, whatever position that is, we have a responsibility to lead. But one, one question that I've had, so I, I'll be honest, I have struggled with being a leader, just in taking that responsibility Moving to Haiti, I was called into leadership roles there. I learned a lot. Didn't do everything right, but with God's grace, 
I grew. Coming back, being called into the ministry looked like a huge responsibility. And I was like, there's no way. I mean, God made a serious mistake because there's no way that I can do it. And, and the question that, I, that I've been thinking about, so we have this responsibility to lead. Each of us as men, we have a responsibility. But does that responsibility bring authority? Because in, in a leadership sense, in order to be able to lead well, we also need to have authority. Authority to make decisions. Authority to... Just thinking about in school, if we have a school teacher where we say you have a responsibility to teach the students, but if we don't give them any authority to have control in their classroom, it's going to be a total disaster. And I take the liberty to say that, yes, responsibility brings authority. Responsibility and authority must coexist. And I want to be careful. Authority can come, sometimes bring about a negative Connotation, and that's not what I wanted at all. But authority without responsibility brings irresponsible behavior. But also, responsibility without authority brings ineffectiveness. And it, uh, the, the first one, authority without responsibility, if you put like just thinking about in Haiti, if you had a young policeman that was put in charge of a traffic stop or whatever it was, he was young and sometimes arrogant and he, he thought he had control, but yet he didn't take responsibility for his actions. It, it just caused a lot of problems because he wanted to show his authority, but he wasn't being responsible for his decisions. And I already gave an example of responsibility without authority is ineffectiveness. And I think anybody that has ever been given a responsibility but not given authority for that responsibility would, would agree with this. I see it, I've, I've seen it happening in organizations, I've seen it happening on the mission field where somebody is given a responsibility that you know, you're in charge of this but yet any decisions are made by a board or by other people or something um, and it doesn't work. So we have the responsibility to lead, but I believe that each of us also has authority in that leadership. And I'd just like to look at that authority. What is that? And where does authority fit in the structure of Christ's kingdom? As we mentioned earlier this week, the upside-down kingdom where... Well, let's just go to Mark, Mark chapter 10. Read a couple verses there. Mark chapter 10, I'll just read verses 41 and 45, 41 to 45. I, had, I think I read more of this earlier this week. Um, so this is when James and John had asked to sit, one on the right hand, one on the left. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered, ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So James and John, they had asked to be given positions of authority. They had asked for positions of prominence in Christ's kingdom. But Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. You need to minister to others. So where does authority fit into this? And did Jesus have authority? We looked at Matthew 7 last night. And the end, the last verse, it says, he taught them as one having authority. Mark 1, 21 and 22, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And then Matthew 28, verse 18, where we find the the Great Commission, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So did Jesus have authority? We just looked at a couple verses, but yes, Jesus has authority. He's the Son of God. He's the creator of the universe. Looking at these verses and many more verses, the answer is absolutely yes. So Jesus has authority, but what about us as believers? What about us as leaders? As followers of Christ being called to lead other people to him. Do we have authority? I'll say yes, we have authority, but it's not our own authority. I believe our authority comes from the word of God, from Christ. Amen. Titus 2 verse 1. Or, Titus 2 overall, I'm going to, verse 1 says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. I'm not going to read through that, but Paul is saying, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. He goes on to teach how we're to live in holiness, no matter our age. He's speaking to us as men, as leaders. This is what you're supposed to do. No matter what your age, deny ungodliness, deny worldly lusts, and much more. And then verse 15, the last verse of the chapter he says, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. When we are speaking from God's word, we can speak with all authority because it's authority from Christ. When I'm asked about my faith, I can answer with authority. When I share what Christ has done for me, I can answer with authority because it's the truth. When we renounce the evil in this world, we have authority directly from Christ himself. Christ who's given all power in heaven and earth. And this responsibility is not just for church leaders, not just for fathers. But as I said earlier, it's for each of us as men, each of us as followers of Christ. I must follow Christ in a way so that those that are following me are also following Christ. Christ gave authority to his church. In Matthew 16, I'll just read 18 and 19 here. 
And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And we have the examples, it's no longer scripture, this is my words again, we have the examples and teaching. So this is where Jesus said it to Peter, and we can continue on through the scriptures of how we as a church are taught to function, how we're taught to structure, how we're taught to work how church leaders are called to the work. The authority of the leader is the word of God, not my own desires, not his own desires. As followers of Christ, we're servants to Christ's church, not chiefs. God-given authority is not lording over or controlling people. In the book, The Hospitable Leader, this is where this quote came from. God-given authority is not lording over or controlling people. Rather, it is being given a responsibility and fulfilling that call to lead. We're not given authority to control people and to make decisions for them, but rather the responsibility to lead. We, we can't make the decision for someone to follow Christ. Rather, we are responsible to lead. We are responsible, as leaders, we're responsible to follow Christ, which then allows other people to follow as well. In the example of a flock of sheep, the shepherd is not behind with a stick, sending them ahead. He's out front leading God gave authority to men to lead in the home. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Again, we're given the responsibility, we're given the authority to lead in our homes. But this authority is under the authority of Christ and based on his word. So how should I lead? What must I do to lead? And again, I must know the voice of the shepherd because my leading is not me blazing out ahead, blazing the path for other people to follow. That's not what leadership is. Leadership is following Christ so that others can follow. We like to be the macho man that's cutting the way through the jungle, making a way for others. But that's not what it is. We are following Christ. If I am willing to follow the shepherd in every aspect of my life, if I'm willing to allow the shepherd to correct me, to change me, to make me a better sheep, then I can know that the people I am leading are following the shepherd and not me. I'm just going to look at as a few points, looking at, at them as a father from that perspective, but I believe they apply to all areas of leadership. At work, in the church, in the youth group, in our sibling groups, whatever it is, 
First, and most importantly, as a leader of my home, as a leader wherever I am, is my relationship with the shepherd, my relationship with Christ. I need to take responsibility for my thought life. I need to take responsibility for my purity. I need to take responsibility for my desires. I must do all of this before I can ever hope to have the responsibility of leading someone to Christ. We need to, again, that relationship with Christ. And each of the following points can apply to my personal life. I'm applying it to to thinking of our children, thinking of those following us, but it also applies to me personally. I cannot lead someone to a place that I am not going to myself. I must be following Christ before others can follow me to Christ. So am I teaching my children to recognize, and again, just remember, apply this to your situation, whatever it is. Replace children with whoever's following you. Am I teaching my children to recognize the voice of the shepherd? Am I teaching them what Christ's voice sounds like? Do we study God's word together? Do we study the words of Jesus? Do we pray together? Do I use teachable moments as opportunities to teach them about God? And I don't know if you know what I mean when I say a teachable moment, but sometimes, and for, for me it seems like teachable moments always come at the most inconvenient time. But yet, I think that's for a reason to help us to be more willing to follow. But the the hard questions that get asked, the things that we see, that teachable moment, when, when a child begins to make connections about hard things in life and they ask a question about it, it's a teachable moment. Am I aware of the other voices that my children may be hearing? Am I aware of the tricks that the devil uses to pull them away? And a couple questions along with that. What do my children do? What do they talk about when they're with their friends, with their cousins? Do I know? What do I do when my children are exposed to things that are sin, things that the Bible condemns? And in the culture around us, we would be blind if we wouldn't admit that this is something that we are exposed to, our children are exposed to, way more than what we would like. Immodesty, immorality, homosexuality, divorce and remarriage, just all the things that God hates, we're exposed to them. What do I do when my children are exposed to this? Do I try to ignore it and hope that they didn't notice? Believe me, they notice. Or do I take it as an opportunity to teach? 
And I'm not promoting that we purposely just go out and try to see things and notice things and point out things that are sinful. No. But we're going to be faced with it. We're going to see it. Rather that I'm willing to speak out on what the Word teaches about it. When it's in my face. When it's right there. When, when I know that we're exposed to it. Am I willing to speak out against it? And to teach I have young children, so I'm the least qualified to be teaching some of these things. It'd be better for some of you older brethren that have it down pat. But I do believe that it's better to help them shape their views, help them shape their opinions, talk with help, allow them to talk about what they see. Explain to them what it is and what sin is. I think it's much better to do that while they're young than to wait until they've begun to form their own opinions, maybe already have their own opinions, and then try to change those opinions when they're older. And it's something I'm learning. I know I'm not doing it right, but I believe with God's help, as we follow Him, He will teach us how to lead our children. What am I doing to guard my children against the voices of false shepherds and all the other temptations that Satan brings? What books and literature are my children reading? What information are my children, and this one I think is super important for myself as well, what information are they accessing via technology? What are they listening to? And just as importantly, what are they using to listen? Do I even know what access they have to information? And information comes in so many different forms. It's available in whatever form you want, whether it's audio, literature, video. Do my children have access to social media and the internet? And if they do, am I protecting them from the dangers that we all know exist there? We all know it's real. Is the protection effective? Thankfully, at this point, None of our children have any need to have access to social media or the internet. But I know it's coming. They're getting older. But I also know enough about technology and enough about electronics and the digital age to say that if your children do have this, don't just set and forget. Like where you set your parameters. Okay, it's done. I did my job. I can forget about it now. Don't do that. Because technology changes so fast, what works today probably will not work tomorrow. At least make sure it does work, continues to work. Another thing, and I've seen, I, I've witnessed this in a family that I know, are all devices accounted for. 
So we might say that, no, my children do not have access unless I'm right there with them. But what about discarded devices? The young boy I know found his dad's discarded phone. The software was outdated. The license for the internet filter was no longer on that device. What about the old cell phone and a laptop that you forgot you had or that you discarded to be used as a toy? And your own personal device, your own phone, your, your computer, do your children know the password? Do they have access to it? And if you think they don't, make sure you're right on that because children learn passwords very easily. Their memory is way better than mine. They only had to see a password once and they can remember it. Another, another question, is your accountability account password secure? If you have accountability software on your devices, is that password secure? Another one, and this one really, I think, thought about a lot living in Haiti because we lived at a guest house for a number of years and had people coming through wanting to connect to the internet, um, connect to the Wi-Fi. And so we're giving access to the internet through our home. What, what are we giving access to? Are all the devices that are connecting, are they protected from the evil that's available? And there are routers that have firewalls built into them where you can set keep the bad stuff from getting through at a router level where any device that connects to it can access it whether that device is protected or not they cannot access when they're connected to your your internet and that way you can block harmful contact from being accessed by any device that ever connects there's also others that you must, you as the account administrator must approve before any new device is connected. It eliminates someone getting their own device or bringing their own device and connecting. And again, these things apply to me personally as well. So my goal as a father and as a leader is not just to guard against these things, to keep a barrier, so to speak, but rather, I want my children to develop a desire to stay away from these things. Not that where you're always trying to just bounce up against a fence to see if there's a weak spot, but rather to understand that the reason we don't do this is because it is sin. Again, back to the teachable moments. When, when we are exposed, when our children are exposed to sin in the world, that we teach. Also, I want to provide my children and anyone else that I am leading, anyone else that is following, I want to provide them with wholesome, upbuilding opportunities to learn. Not just guard against the bad, but provide the good with the good. Give them opportunity to grow 
and also the capacity to make decisions on their own. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, and ultimately as a leader, again, I'm following Christ so that others can follow me. We don't need to make a false choice between love and truth. You know, we sometimes it's hard. We love our children. We love the person that we're working with. We love the people in our congregation. We love whatever it is. And sometimes the truth is hard to share because we know when that truth is shared, it's going to hurt. Sometimes when truth is shared, people become angry. Sometimes when truth is shared, people hate us. God communicated himself to the world through Jesus Christ. John 1.14 said that Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. And I believe it's truth that's surrounded by grace, wrapped in grace, that helps us become who we were meant to be. It's because of truth from God's word, truth from brothers in my life that cared. The truth was given. But there was also grace, as I said last night, the power of God to do the will of God. Help me to become a follower of Christ. Truth without grace drives people away. But grace without truth leads people astray. It's truth and grace based on the authority of God's word that will help me to lead in a way that both myself as a follower of Christ and those that I'm leading, that we will all be led to Christ. will help me to lead in a way that both myself and those that I am leading will ultimately be led by Christ. God bless. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. Rise up, O men of God, His kingdom tarries long. Bring in the Strength unequal to her.
Try.